If you are over in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start reading 19, verses 19 through 24, and that's going to be our focus for tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll get as far as we can. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Let me read the verses first, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive right in. Jesus is speaking. It's, it's a sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, let's remember that we're not looking at, in this Sermon on the Mount, we're not looking at, requirements for entry into the kingdom of God. As we read this, we, not, we should not look at it as like, okay, here's a list of things, requirements, rules. If I do these, then I'm in. If I do these, God will like me, he'll accept me. Uh, that's not how we are to look at these. This, this, rather, this, this, is how, this is how we are to live now that we are in the kingdom by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's not, it's not how to get in. Uh, it's now that we're in through Christ, this is what we're called to. It's like, I've saved you, I've redeemed you, I've brought you into my kingdom. Now this is how my followers will live. This is how my kingdom followers will live. And I ask you also to remember the emphasis that Jesus places upon his followers that they have what he called a greater or an exceeding righteousness. If you'll just put your eyes back over on chapter 5, just to remind you, chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to remember that because right after he said that, he goes into this long discourse of, it's, it's this way, not this way. It's this way, not this way. Because our, our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, which was, which was an outer, or an outer display. And our righteousness is to be inner first, and it will show up outer. Okay? And so this exceeding greater righteousness is what we're being called to, and we need to know that because... In the passages that we're looking at this evening, this exceeding and greater righteousness includes our relations to the goods of this world. In other words, it's not just how we treat our neighbor, important. It's not just how we treat the poor. It's not just how we do a lot of other. It's how we handle the goods of this world, how we handle money. So, in addition to asking what Jesus means here, and we're going to do that, certainly. We're going to look at that. But first, it's equally important that we understand what Jesus does not mean. So we're going to look at what he means, but first we're going to look at what he does not mean. What is Jesus not prohibiting here? 
Because he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. What is Jesus not prohibiting? We need to clear that up first, okay? And we could say this first. He is not prohibiting possessions in and of themselves. He's not saying that it's wrong to have a, a smartphone. He's not saying it's wrong to have um, a, 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 a second home in Florida f- for snowbirds, okay? He's not, not saying it's wrong to have to possessions in and of themselves, all right? Secondly, he is not saying that it's wrong to have private property, uh, which, which simply means this. Jesus is not a socialist, as some have claimed. And you need to keep your eyes and ears open right now in our country because you're going to hear more and more about socialism, more and more about democratic socialism. I was having a conversation with a young man the other day, and um, I guess he's 27, I think, 27. He said that, Almost all of his friends believed that socialism was a great idea. And I asked him, I said, you know, what do you say to them? And he, he said, I try to point out that, hey, it didn't work here, it didn't work here, it didn't work here. And I said, what is their response? And I, I told Catherine, I said, I think I know what the response is, but I want to hear it. And, it. and it was exactly what I thought. He said, their response is, well, we know how to do it better. <laughs> you know? We know how to do it better. We're smarter here, you know. We 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 have smarter minds, and you know. and so Jesus is not a socialist. And you're gonna you're gonna, you know there, there's some politicians that were on some of the late night programs here just the last few months, this this during this year, that said you know they they said you know we're Christians and we're Christians because Jesus was because he was a socialist. And so you're gonna hear you're gonna hear more of that, but. Jesus is not prohibiting private party, uh, private property, because he is he is certainly not a socialist. Nor is Jesus prohibiting saving for a rainy day. Catherine and I, back in the 1980s, we we knew some people that we would often hear a sermon that would sound like this. Um, yeah, go ahead and save for a rainy day. Then you're going to have one. <laughs> that, that's that's the word faith teaching that says you know. If you if you say I need to prepare for a rainy day, then you're going to have one because you you know you spoke it into being, <laughs> your words, you know that kind of crazy stuff. So this, Jesus is not ruling out saving for a rainy day uh, because it's helpful to remember that in the book of Proverbs, even the ant is commended for storing in the summer the food it will need for the winter, as it's, the ants wise. So it's, Jesus is not prohibiting these kind of things. So what, what, is, what is he doing? Well, the key to understanding what Jesus is prohibiting is found in the words, for yourselves. Look at it in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Uh, that's the key. If, if we want to get to what, what is Jesus prohibiting, it really comes down to the selfish accumulation of goods. It's not the accumulation of goods. It is the selfish accumulation of goods for ourselves. Jesus is prohibiting covetousness amongst his followers. He is prohibiting 
us behaving like misers who hoard and materialists who always are always wanting more. They, there's a discontentment in their life. There's a dissatisfaction in life. There's, there's a hole in their lives, and they're trying to fill it with material things. That is what Jesus is speaking to. Okay? Now, let's take a moment to identify what Jesus might mean by the word treasures. Okay? Because he uses that in verses 19 and 20 and even says, verse 21, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. So we notice, notice Jesus makes a distinction between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. Okay? So notice that distinction, all right? In principle, by treasures on earth, Jesus is referring to any valuable which is perishable or which can be lost in one way or another, okay? So treasures on earth are those, those things that are, we see as valuable, yet they're perishable, and we can lose them one way or another. To lay up, the phrase lay up treasures, lay up refers to placing valuables in safekeeping. The interesting thing is when Jesus was uh, speaking these words, uh, there were no banks in the modern sense that we know of banks. I mean, primarily people would take their possessions and bury them in the ground. Uh, that's why that when Jesus gives the parable, you know, about the man who was kind of walking along and he found a treasure in the field. And that, that most likely is the result of someone having hid their valuables, buried them in the ground, and someone just happened upon them. So... You know, the question for, for these folks in the first century was, where was a safe place? Where was a safe place to keep your valuables? And so Jesus seems to be speaking to the, the vulnerable nature of earthly treasures by the words he uses. Notice these words in verse 19, moth and rust and thieves. Uh, ran across a uh, neat, little, neat little piece out of a book. Um, it, it, the book is titled Rust. The Longest War. It says, rust isn't just annoying. It's expensive and it's dangerous. Rust happens and we can't stop it. For instance, on August the 1st, 2007, so it hasn't been but uh, 11 years ago, a bridge spanning the Mississippi in Minnesota suddenly collapsed during the evening rush hour. The bridge, identified as Bridge 9340 in official records, was rated as the second busiest in the entire state with 140,000 vehicles crossing it every day. 111 vehicles rode the surface of the bridge down as much as 115 feet to the surface of the water and riverbank. With 13 people killed, 145 injured, a school bus with 63 children returning from a field trip ended up resting on a guardrail at the bottom. He goes on to say this, the collapsed bridge over Mississippi had one cause, oxidation. Iron in the soil and the bridge gussets reacted chemically with oxygen, and the result is a reddish product that eats and destroys that we call rust. So, you know, dangerous, expensive. Uh, then there's, there's moth. We're, we're, and and we, don't, we don't think too much about this today. Remember, this is first century, okay? But moth would, would, um, would get into people's clothing. And the, the important thing here is, is during the first century, some of the most valuable things that you would have would be you know, an, an outer coat, uh, 
garments. You know, th- these, these would be sometimes the extent of the value that people would have. And Jesus warns here, you know, moth gets into the clothing, rust. Then he said thieves, where thieves break in and steal. And the, the phrase, notice the phrase there in verse 19 where it says break in. In the, in the original language, it, it literally means to dig through. And the reason that's important is most homes during the first century were made of mud and brick. And it was easy for thieves to just take a sharp tool. All they'd have to take a sharp tool was just dig right through and they could be right in the home in no time. Uh, it was in the days before, you know, uh, home security, right? <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you today, these, these, are, these, are some, these are some things that Jesus was laying out, just showing us the vulnerability of the stuff we have. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, you know, rust eating away or something eat away. But here, here's a question I got for you. What about today? In what way are our earthly treasures vulnerable today? What ways can you think of that in which our, our treasures today are vulnerable? Nature, okay, good. I, I'm sorry, stock market, yeah, a lot of uh, you know, retirement accounts, IRAs, that sort of thing are all tied to the stock market. You know, Larry, Larry mentioned nature. I was speaking to a gentleman the other day and the ice, the ice storm that went through here recently, you know, just um, this gentleman had a, a travel trailer and a brand new pickup truck. And it was parked under a tree. <laughs> and $16,000 worth of damage to the travel trailer and like $7,000 to the truck, you know. Uh, so, yes, you know, just so think of anything else. Fire, yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Identity theft, yeah. Excellent, excellent. How about inflation? Inflation. There's a number, number, of, different, number of different things. You know, we, we can... We can you know, feel fairly secure. We, you know, we we've got this. Uh, we we we've secured this. It's okay. But the truth is, there are a number of things today that that threaten our treasures, the treasures on earth. So, what alternative does Jesus give his followers? What do he say? Lay not treasures up for yourselves on earth, but what? Uh, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So here we have the same phrase, lay up for yourselves, okay? But a different place in heaven. Notice where these things do not take place, where, where they are not vulnerable. They, they are not going to be stolen. They're not going to be ruined. They're not going to perish. So what, what does, first, what does this mean and how do we do it? And I want, I want you to turn over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're just going to ask, okay, lay up treasures in heaven. Uh, how do I do that? Uh, what will it mean for me to do that? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, we get some important insight on that. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And we're going to look right at the very... In there at verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share 
Notice there's a comma. It continues, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So this, this is a good um, commentary on you know, Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven. You say, what, is that? what does that look like? Well, um, do good, be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. And by doing that, we store up treasure for ourselves. And, you know, what, what does that mean? What's, it's a good foundation for the future. You know, you're building a home, uh, good foundation, secure foundation is important for it to last, okay? And so spiritually, we're laying a good foundation for the future, and we're also taking hold of that which is truly life. Uh, Notice, as we turn back, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where no, neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. But then, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, let's take a moment to um, remember what heart means. Probably, if, if, you know, if, you, if, if you want to get familiar, if, you, if you'd say, you know, like, I want to read the Bible, I want to get familiar with the Bible, I want to get familiar with some of the important themes in the Bible, you would want to get familiar with what the Bible means by heart, what, what, what it means, because it's, all, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament, and it is vitally important that we understand what heart means. Heart, heart is referring to the whole inner man, the, the inner person, not just emotions, uh, not just our mind, not just our affections, but, but the entirety it, it is, as one person put it, it is the core. It's like, you know, like an apple. An apple has a core. Um, the, the heart of a person is the core of our total being. It is, another way of putting it, it is the wellspring of all we do. The wellspring of all that we do. Um, so, you know, I heard somebody trying to explain, you know, some, giving some examples of, uh, you know, where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And uh, this person used this example. Let's say that you, um, your, your kids want to go to a football game, and so you don't want to go. They want to go, but you don't want to go. So when you buy the tickets, you get the cheapest tickets you can get. You know, I mean, they're the worst tickets possible, the cheapest. They want to go, you don't want to go. You get the cheapest tickets then he said let's suppose you want to go <laughs> let's suppose you're excited about going to a football game you want to go what kind of tickets are you going to get the best ones you're going to get at the 50 yard line you know and he used that to explain you know kind of how how our heart is you know same football game you know but you know in this case i, I i'm not into it this other case i'm into it See, the things we treasure can actually govern our lives. That's what Jesus is saying. What we treasure will govern our lives. Why? Because where our treasure, our heart will be also. That, that, that governing mechanism within us. What we value tugs at our mind and our emotions. It consumes our time with planning. It's usually, 
you know, what we're thinking about, what we're, we're going to get to do, and I'm going to get to do this, and so we're planning and planning. And that, that's where our heart's at. And if, here, here's, here's what we want to get to. If our heart is set upon the treasures of this earth. Now, again, Jesus did not prohibit us having things, but he is concerned about where our heart is, what our heart's set upon. And if our heart is set upon the treasures of this earth, the values of the kingdom of God will get squeezed out. That's, 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 it. that's at the heart. <laughs> that's at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. We have to be careful where our heart and what it's set upon because it will take up our time, our resources, our planning, and there's other things that are going to get pushed out. They're going to be set out to the margin. They're going to get squeezed out. See? And so that's what Jesus is getting at when he says, for where your treasure is, make sure that your treasures have to do with heavenly things, things above, not on things of this earth. Otherwise, the values of the kingdom of God will be squeezed out. You see, these earthly treasures may not be evil in themselves. Um, you, know, you know, there's a lot of things that we can enjoy in this life that are not evil at all. They're, so just don't, don't, don't assume that when it says, you know, you're, if your heart's set on the things of this earth, that it's, it means evil things. It can be good things. It can be morally neutral things. However, these earthly treasures, though they may not be evil of themselves, however, they become evil if they are valued as ultimate treasure and usurp the place of God's kingdom in our heart. That's how they become evil. They, they start off being benign, neutral. Then we set our heart upon them. You know? that's, as we, we lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth, and that's what we think about. That's what tugs on our emotions and our pocketbook and everything. And we're, we're focused on this, and, and now what was benign and okay now has become evil because it's taken the place. I mean, you ladies who have been in the women's Bible study, I think it's, it's titled No Other Gods, talking about idols. You know, idols are those, those things you know, that we put up in the place. We, we give them godlike place and position in our lives and they can be morally neutral but when we when we put them there uh, then they do become evil let me let me I got a little little something here i want to read to you um yeah martin lloyd jones commenting on this verse he said i do not cling to these things they do not become the center of my life and existence i do not live for them or dwell upon them constantly in my mind. They do not absorb my life. On the contrary, I hold them loosely. I'm not governed by them. Rather, do I govern them. And as I do this, I am steadily securing and safely laying up for myself treasures in heaven. So, again, he talks about having things, but not the, you know, while he governs the things, the things do not govern him. Let me just pause here. Before we move on, any any comments, any any thoughts that you have, anybody? Okay, verse twenty-two. Now, you know, we may think this is a, a separate issue. It is not. This is all in the context of what Jesus has been talking about. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But then he speaks, he says, but if your eye is bad. Now, what does all this, uh, what, what's all this mean? The eye, the eye here, the eye here is, 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 is being spoken of as a window through which light comes into the body. Um, so how, how, you know, the way somebody put it, if a window is clean, the light that comes in will properly light every part of the room. If dirty, though, the light will be hindered and the room will not receive the full benefit of the light. So that, that's the principle there, okay? So the eye is, if the eye is healthy, you know, good can come about. If the eye is, is bad, if it's unhealthy. So what, what does all that mean? What is Jesus getting at? Well, the light that comes into a person's soul depends upon the spiritual condition of the eye through which it has to pass. Now, under, understand where, where you know, Jesus is using the eye here um, more, is, you know, more in, a, in a metaphorical way. But the light that comes into a person's soul, okay, depends on the spiritual condition of the eye through which it has to pass. So let's notice something. Jesus has just spoken about the importance of the heart. Just, he just stated that, okay? So the eye here is equivalent. Jesus is using it as an equivalent to the heart. The argument seems to be this that he's making. Just as our eye affects our whole body, so our ambition... Or where we fix our eye and our heart affects our whole life. So let me run that back for a moment. Just as our eye affects our whole body, so our, let's use the word ambition. Uh, ambition meaning what we fix our eye or our heart upon. You know, right now, every, everybody here, if you think about it, you know, there's, there's certain ambitions you have and, um, you know, the, they, they, and they can be healthy, they can be good, um, and, and they are going to affect your life in some way. You see, our vision, our heart, our ambition can become clouded, though, by what Jesus is talking about here, by false gods of materialism. In other words, there's, there's a way, those, there, there's a way uh, for, for our eye to become unhealthy in such a way that it's going to affect the, the health of our soul. So notice, notice what he said here in verse 23, 22, should say. The, if the eye is the lamp of the body, okay? So if the eye is healthy, what does that mean? If our eye is healthy. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you go to the optometrist and he says, hey, 2020 vision, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. If the eye is healthy, another way of putting it, if the eye is clear, so what does all this mean? And, um, we, we, we can't see this through the English translation here, but the word healthy goes right back to that if you were here Sunday morning. Remember we, we, we talked about having a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Remember we said the word sincere means undivided, a singleness of purpose, same word here, healthy. It means singleness of purpose, undivided loyalty, generous in spirit, okay? So if your eye is healthy, or say it this way, if, if you have a singleness of purpose, if you have an undivided loyalty to Christ and his kingdom, if you have a generous spirit, 
because God has been generous to you, then what does it say? Your whole body will be full of light. Conversely, though, in verse 23, but if your eye is bad, well, that's the opposite. If, if, If our life is, if our heart's divided, if our loyalty is divided, or if we have an ungenerous spirit, if we are selfish, self-oriented, if your heart is bad, your whole body is full of darkness, and then the light, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, you know, do I have a healthy eye? Do I have a healthy eye? Do I have a, is, is, my, is, my life, um, is my life characterized by, you know, again, not perfection, not talking about that, but is my life characterized by uh, an undivided loyalty to Christ, uh, a singleness of purpose, again, a generous spirit? Those things we need to ask ourselves when we read this. But then he goes on in verse 24, and again, all in the same context. And notice how all this fits together. It's like Jesus is he's still nailing the same topic, but he's just open up, opening up different vistas to it all. In verse 24... Notice, no one can serve two masters. Because, you know, th- that's really the problem of verse 22 and 23. You know, we either have loyalty to Christ or divided loyalty. Our, our heart is either focused upon the treasures in heaven or it's divided. And so, no wonder he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. See, it's divided loyalty, okay? So, First, you notice we had a choice between two treasures, treasures on earth and treasures in heaven, and where we lay them up, and, where, and, and then we went on to where we fix our eyes, okay? So notice this, we had, we had, we had two, two, two locations, two, two, two different kinds of treasures, treasures on earth, treasures in heaven, and, 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 and two different places to locate them, on earth and heaven. Then we just looked at where we fix our eyes, healthy eye, Bad eye. Now we see an even more basic choice between two masters and whom we're going to serve. And notice it's a choice between God and mammon. Now, most most occasions, um, we, people will say, "Well, mammon means money." And you'll notice there in the latter part of verse twenty-four, you cannot serve God and money. And and mammon. Mammon, though, has another meaning. Other, it's not just money, okay? This is really important. It's not just money. Mammon refers to something in which one puts their confidence in. Now, that might be money, okay? And most of the time it is. But mammon in general is something in which one puts confidence in. So let's get it straight. Jesus is saying, you can't serve two masters. You cannot put your confidence here and here. You, you can't put your confidence in God and in mammon. You can't put your confidence in God and money. Anyone who divides their allegiance between God and mammon has already given it to mammon. Let's be clear on that. Verse 24 makes it very clear. Can't serve two masters, and if, if a person has their allegiance, their loyalty, their service to mammon, they, they've, already, they've already given it there. They, they may say, they may say, well, no, it's God. Really, it's God. And, you know, and 
no, they, they've already devoted themselves to mammon since God can be served only with an entire and exclusive devotion. So we're only kidding ourselves if we think that we can have our confidence here and here because as far as God is concerned, we can tell ourselves that will work, but as far as God is concerned, the only devotion that God will receive is an entire, exclusive, undivided sincere devotion. You'll notice in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Uh, that, that, you know, that love and hate thing here is a, what's called a Semitic idiom, which means it's not to be taken as absolute. Uh, remember, you know, remember the, there's the verse, there's a verse in the new Testament. Jesus speaks of, um, that everybody has a problem with. You cannot be my disciple if you don't hate your mother, your father, you know, your spouse, your kids. Everybody comes unhinged over that. You know, like what? Why? Why would you all devote yourself to Jesus who says something like that? You've got to hate your parents. You got to hate your wife, and all that stuff. And and see, ab- absolute, absolute misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. How in the world on one hand could he say, hate your mother and then uh, uphold, uphold the law of God that says, honor thy father and thy mother, you know? I mean, Jesus is not speaking in absolute terms of, of hate your mother. What he is saying, though, for his disciples is he is to be preferred above all others. He is to be first. Our devotion, our loyalty is to be Christ first, preferred over all other relationships. So now let, let's take the last few minutes. How can, what will help us to do what we're looking at here? Because this is what Jesus is calling his followers to do. Lay up the treasures in heaven, not on earth, um, serve one master, what, 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 what will help us to do that? Um, I think all of you know that we run into people, you know, all the time. There's many people who will say, if you were to ask them, do you believe in Jesus? They will, they will certainly say, well, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. That, I mean, that's the polite thing to do in America. Most, for most people who believe in Jesus. Uh, but if you were to ask them, are you treasuring Jesus and finding him as precious? What, what if you were to put it that way? What, what if instead of saying, you know, if you ask them, do you believe in Jesus? Then they say, well, yeah, yeah, I do. They say, well, let me, let me ask it this way. Do you treasure Jesus and see him as being precious? They're not the same thing. Now, they should be, okay? They should be. In other words, if we are believing in Jesus in a biblical way of believing in him, then we will treasure him and find him precious. But if we are believing in the generic American idea of believing that Jesus was a historical person, and then it's not the same thing. So how then, how do we, how do we get there? How do we get to treasuring Jesus, seeing him as precious? And let's look at one verse and we'll wrap up. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. There's one passage there I want us to look at before we are done. We've got about three minutes, and then we'll, uh, we'll be 
we'll be dismissing. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. So we're just asking how, what, what help can we get to help us to, to do what Jesus is saying here. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So been raised with Christ, seek, go after, pursue the things that are above where Christ is. So, you know, mentioned this Sunday, you know, looking unto Jesus, keeping our heart fixed upon Jesus. So what do we do? Well, okay, we, we, must, we must see Jesus. We must see Jesus leaving the treasure of heaven, leaving the treasure of perfect fellowship with his Father, coming and taking on human flesh in order to die to make us his treasure. We, we have to, that, that's the gospel. That, that's the good news. Jesus leaving behind treasure, setting aside his glory, coming to suffer. We, we need to see Jesus leaving behind treasure in order to come and die to make us his treasure. A few years back, Catherine and I wrote a song together, and uh, in the course it went like this. Don't die to have the treasures of this earth like others do, but be living for the treasure who died to have you. Many people die, they'll, they'll, their ambitions, they'll give their life, they'll give everything they got for the treasures of this world. Don't die to have the treasures of this world like others do, but live for the treasure who died to have you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, when we ponder the good news and we start seeking and thinking deeply, looking at things above, we start seeing our real treasure, the real treasure that will never perish, will never be stolen, the real treasure that is the most precious treasure of all. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes afresh as we spend time opening the scriptures and we, we look to Jesus and look at his life and his work and his promises, his words. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit, to see the beauty of the treasure of Jesus Christ that we might find him precious. Yes, that we might believe, that we might put our complete trust and confidence in in him, for he is the treasure who died to make us his treasure. What a blessing. Now may we go, may we go and live for that treasure in the power of his spirit we pray, amen. Lord bless you as you go, you're dismissed.